John chapter 15. We'll pick up in verse 26. Jesus said, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but... You cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Lord, we are thankful for your word and for the hope that you give us in your word and the challenges you give us in your word. And God, we pray that today you would draw us closer to you. You would speak to us and minister to us, God. We, uh, we continue to pray for some of the needs in the fellowship, Lord. We, we continue to pray for our brother Greg, who's in the hospital. Lord, would you heal him? We thank you for his recovery and that he's doing better every day, Lord, and we just pray that you would heal him entirely and bring him home to his family. We pray for his wife, his kids, Lord, and that you would sustain and provide for them and encourage and strengthen them, Lord. Lord, we continue to pray for the situation in Haiti, Lord, with the missionaries who have been kidnapped. Lord, would you rescue them and protect them? Lord, we continue to pray for Kelly and John Wildo there in Haiti and just navigating all of the uncertainty and the chaos that's going on there in that country. Lord, would you, would you meet their needs? Would you provide for them, Lord, even, even right now as they're trying, there's nowhere to get gas to go anywhere or do anything? Lord, would you just provide an opportunity for them uh, to get gas? Um, Father, we, we lift them up and We pray that you would have your hand upon them, Lord. We continue to pray for baby Benjamin with leukemia, Lord, that you would heal him. Touch that little boy's body. Lord, as treatments have been, uh, he's not been responding great, Lord. We just pray that you would touch him. You would help him to respond well to the the treatments and to just be uh, blessed, Father, to, to heal him. 
we pray for John and Rachel as they navigate caring for their son, their firstborn son, Lord. Would you just encourage and strengthen their faith, Lord? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Great blessing, as always, being together. And, and I just want to encourage you guys again on the, the fall festival on, uh, this weekend, on Friday. Come on out. It's an, it's an amazing time of fellowship and fun for the whole family and uh, a good time. If you, know, you can host a trunk. We encourage you to host a trunk. You get to talk to a lot of people by hosting a trunk. Maybe you're like, hey, how do I get to know more people in church? Host a trunk. Everybody's going to stop by and take some candy from you. So, uh, and of course, there's the, the, uh, the great spiritual competition that we have with one another and who's going to win the prize of the best trunk and all this fun stuff. So I uh, just want to encourage you guys once again. For, it's going to be a great time. You don't want to miss it. We've done this many, many times before and always are blessed by the fellowship and opportunity there together. So here in John chapter 15, we're going to finish John 15. You know, as we look at this, we see the, uh, we start with verse 26 to, and real, in reality, we can look at that and the, the break of chapter doesn't really make a whole lot of sense perhaps. And we're just reminded that, hey, you know what, the chapter and verse breakdowns in scripture uh, were not written at the beginning. So um, we're going to pick up in verse 26 of John 15 and we're going to connect the dot there to John chapter 16. If you need a Bible, then you could raise your hand. And the ushers are glad to get one to you, and you can follow along with us there. So uh, we're reminded in John 15 where we, what we've gone through so far and, and just the work of, uh, that Jesus has been speaking of to them, to his disciples in this upper room discourse, expressing things to them that are essential for them to remember in, in this, the love and joy that comes from this abiding in the vine, that the fruit that comes from abiding in the vine, the blessing that comes from walking with Jesus and having a relationship with him versus the hatred that comes from the world and, and all the things that the world has to offer us is not good, right? That's where we finished up with last week. This week we pick up there in giving the, the picture of the Holy Spirit and how essential the Holy Spirit is so that you can deal with the hatred that comes from the world and the rejection that comes from the world. So there we see in verse 26, John 15, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. We see the helper, and we've talked about the helper before, who the helper is, what the helper does. He helps in so many ways, but specifically here, we are reminded of the words that Jesus just spoke in the prior verses, 18 to 25, of the world's hatred and of the rejection and of the persecution and of the suffering that was going to happen to them. Jesus said it was going to happen, therefore, it's going to happen. They can expect this suffering and this time of difficulty and persecution to take place, but you don't have to do it alone. That's what Jesus is telling them here. You, the, the helper comes whom I shall send to you, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Now, the helper we see that, that Jesus sends, that helper is gonna be ushered in through the death of Jesus, but he's gonna help you guys because things are about to get really difficult. We'll keep that in mind as we go through the message today. Things are about to get really complicated for the disciples, 
And that starts with Jesus going to the cross. Jesus is saying to them, the helper is coming when I go because you're going to need help. It's going to be essential for you because you're going to face persecution. Jesus is preparing them in word and in warning, and he prepares them with the help of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it alone. We oftentimes, when we're facing difficulty and we're suffering through something, we think that we're alone. And maybe there's nobody else who understands what we're going through, but we have been given, given a promise from Jesus himself, the helper, the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's the helper that is from the Father. We've established that before. We've talked about before that he is another of the same kind that is from the Father on the same mission, right? But this spirit of truth testifies, meaning of the truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He testifies of the truth because that's the help that's needed when the attack of the enemy comes. Think of all the attacks of the enemy back to the beginning. The very first sin in the garden was an attack from the enemy of deception, of lies. The father of lies came and deceived Eve, and she took of the fruit that she wasn't supposed to take. She believed a lie from the devil. And so what does the Holy Spirit come? The Holy Spirit testifies of the truth because we need the truth especially when we face temptation, especially when we face suffering, especially when we face persecution. We need the truth. The Holy Spirit will do that. My wife and I have a practice when we have faced very difficult circumstances in the past. We've sat, we've had hours and hours and hours worth of conversation and we would sit and we would be confused. What is happening? Why is this so difficult, what, is it, what we're facing? And we would stop and we'd say, we just have to remind ourselves of what is true. And we would just stop everything and we would turn to the scriptures and we just start reading through scriptures like what is true? We have to remind ourselves what is true, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Remind yourself what is true. The Holy Spirit will do that work of reminding you, and we need it. We need to be reminded, especially when there's so many lies going on around us. We have every different side. There's all different things, right? We can talk politically, we could talk all different theories of what people believe or don't believe, and everybody says that they're right and what they say is true. But it's not, none of it's true. The Bible is true, Jesus is truth, and we, we get caught up and we get distracted with all these other things and, and all these other things that are lies and deceptions, and we get super confused. How many of you guys, if you ever watch the news, or you read news stories, or you're scrolling on Facebook and there's some sort of news that's made up that's thrown at you and you're like, I'm just confused. I don't know what's going on. And our heads spin and we feel like there's smoke coming out of our ears. Why? Because there's so many lies and deceptions. But what do we need? We need to remind ourselves what is true. Paul writes, he says, uh, to think on these things, he starts out to say, whatever is true. 
And he goes on, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is peaceable. But he starts at whatever is true, think on that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're struggling with doubt, you're facing suffering, if you're struggling even to understand your identity and your worth in Christ, think on what is true. Jesus loves you and died for you. Jesus rose from the dead. Those are simple truths that should give us great confidence and victory in life. That's the help that we have, the spirit of truth who testifies of the truth because that's the help we need. And we face difficult times, but the spirit is there to remind us of what is true. Now also it says here that he will testify of Jesus. And Jesus, of course, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's a double-barreled action here. Testifying of the truth is testifying of Jesus, and testifying of Jesus is testifying of the truth. And what is that testimony that we're talking about? It's the words and the works of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance what Jesus has done. He will testify in your heart and mind what Jesus has done. Like I said before, so what is true? Jesus loves you, he died on the cross for you, and he rose from the dead. That is truth, and that gives great confidence. Jesus is trying to bring confidence. Then he says to them, verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, this from the beginning is not from the beginning of all things. He's speaking of the beginning of his ministry. When he called them, you have been with me. You have seen my ministry. You have experienced things with me directly. You have seen and experienced the things that I have done. You have heard the things that I have said. And Jesus knows full well what he's about to demonstrate to them in his death and resurrection. And so the response He's saying, you're going to testify of me. Not only does the Holy Spirit testify of me in, the, in, in testifying of the truth and in testifying of the things and the works that I have done, and he will remind you of what I have done in my death and resurrection, but you're going to experience my death and resurrection. Therefore, you will testify of me. The natural response to experiencing the miraculous work of the resurrection would be to testify. Am I right? When we experience the miraculous work of, of our own personal resurrection, that Jesus has done this work in us, that we are saved by grace through faith, what is our natural response? Testify. It's a required response. And it is the evidence that we have been with Jesus. Is there evidence that you've been with Jesus? They've been with him. And they've been with him from the beginning, and that evidence would come out in them testifying of Jesus, of who he is, what he's spoken, and what he's done. But when you get in the car after church, do you testify? that you've been with Jesus? When you go home after church, when you spend time with friends, and when you, you go to work throughout the week, 
Does your life and your actions testify that you've been with Jesus? You see, you'll do much better testifying that you've been with Jesus if you're actually with Jesus. And being with Jesus doesn't mean you just show up to church on Sunday. Being with Jesus is a responsibility every day of our lives. And so if, if we're testifying of Jesus, that is the natural response, that is a required response, and it is the evidence. So when we testify of Jesus, people will know, man, you've been with Jesus. Was that because of church? Well, yeah, because of church and because of the next day that I spend time with Jesus and because of the day after that that I spend time with Jesus and because of the day after that that I spend time with Jesus and because I just spend time with Jesus. I live my life for Jesus. And because I'm with Jesus, I can continue to testify. The disciples specifically, Jesus said, guys, what you're gonna see, you're not gonna be able to contain it. Where you're going to experience, you won't be able to contain. It will come out of you. You will. We've said that before. We'll say it again. When Jesus says you will, it's going to happen. You will testify of me as the Spirit will testify of me. Why? Because of the resurrection. So the Spirit and the disciples testify. And we'll see that as you read your Bible, I encourage you to always read your Bible, but as you read through the book of Acts, and maybe you've heard it or read it before, you see the Spirit and the disciples testifying of Jesus because they had experienced the resurrection. And that's through, there's miracles that take place. There's the power of the Holy Spirit that's taking place and the church is just exploding. There's many people who are being converted to the faith. It's in teaching, it's in preaching, it's in outreach, it's all these things happening, but it's founded on the resurrection. It couldn't happen yet, but Jesus is preparing the disciples for it. The disciples were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And when you're eyewitness to something like that, you can't contain it. Verse one, we continue, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. We are beginning to see now the purpose of these things, of why is Jesus saying this? Well, it's all for preparation. We've heard Jesus say this before, these things. And he, t- he tells them, look, these things I've said to you that your joy may be full, right? That, you would, that your, my joy would be in you and that your joy would be made full. These things, but that's pointing us back to these things that he said before that, and it's pointing them to this whole upper room discourse, and now he's specific here to these things that he says to them is for a purpose, that you would be able to endure, that you would be able to persevere. These things is coming from the warning of verses 18 to 25 in John 15. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble, first of all. Not to be made to stumble. This is, not, uh, this, this is speaking of that you would not be discouraged, that you would not be deterred, that you would not be distracted from the mission. 
Remember we talked about that last week, that Jesus was bringing the disciples into an understanding to be on the same mission that Jesus is on, which is salvation. The mission is salvation. It always has been. It always will be. And he brings the disciples onto that same mission, and now he's saying, don't don't stumble. I tell you these things so you would not stumble, so you would not be discouraged, deterred, or distracted from the mission, salvation. Don't get mixed up with other things. And we should remember that If we are, as believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to be on the same mission. Our mission is salvation. Don't be distracted. Salvation is the goal. Don't be discouraged because of all the things that we see going on in the world around us. Don't be deterred thinking, man, this persecution, Jesus said we're gonna face persecution It's going to be bad. Oh, no. I'm not going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to testify. We're outside of his will if we're not testifying. We need to be on mission and not distracted from it, no matter what comes, because, as Jesus said, what is coming is going to be really hard. And here he gives them a picture of even what that really difficult times would look like, right? So we continue then in verse two. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. So he's saying, I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to be distracted. I don't want you to be deterred from the mission that you are on which is for salvation, and you're going to face persecution. But I'm telling you now, it's going to start getting really bad. What's coming is going to be really difficult. And that's going to start with Jesus being arrested in the garden. They're literally on their way. They're they're departing from the upper room on their way to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to be betrayed and arrested. So he's preparing them for what's to come. They don't quite understand yet, but he's been preparing them for what's to come. And here he's saying, guys, even you you think that you're gonna face this persecution from the world, yes. But you're gonna be thrown out of the synagogues too. The religious system that's been set up what would feel like a safe space and comfortable space, you're gonna be rejected there as well. And it's because of Jesus. Be prepared. Rejection is going to come even from the religious system. And they're going to do these things. They're gonna kill you. They're gonna throw you out of the synagogue. They're going to persecute you. They will even kill you thinking that they're right, that they're righteous, that what they're doing is righteous, but they're deceived. So be prepared. Remember, that's the purpose. Preparation is the purpose. That's why Jesus is sharing all these things with them.
In the ver- verse 4 then. These things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. These verses here, 1 through 4, focused on the purpose. Jesus preparing his disciples to persevere when things get really difficult, when they face suffering. Because it's about to get worse because Jesus is going to the cross. But then he says, Remember, remember that it's Jesus who told you this was going to happen. Because that's how you're going to walk forward in confidence. When you remember that Jesus said it was going to happen. You don't have to be surprised. We don't have to be surprised by what's going on in the world. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said it's going to happen. The Bible tells us all the things that are going to happen, and somehow we are shocked when wickedness takes over in the United States of America or in various different places around the world. We're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Really? Jesus said this stuff is going to happen. Jesus said we're going to face persecution. We haven't yet, have we? We think maybe a little bit. It's going to get worse. We're going to face persecution. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. But we need to remember that it's Jesus who said it. We can walk forward in confidence. Jesus knew this would happen, and what he's saying here is that you can trust him. When I tell you something's going to happen, and it does happen, remember it was me who said it. And you can have confidence in my word when you remember that. Remember that it was Jesus. Remember Jesus, what he said and what he did. And all of this was in preparation. And so here he says, at the end of verse four, these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. One, they weren't ready for it at the beginning. And two, because he was with them. They didn't need to know these things yet because, look, I'm with you. I'm holding your hand through it. I'm gonna lead you through every single day. He didn't tell them from the beginning, hey, follow me. It's gonna be horrible. Hey, follow me. And you're gonna, like, everything is gonna get torn apart. And by the way, follow me so I can go to the cross. I can die. And it's gonna be all right. Just, just trust me. Follow me. I'm gonna die. This is the Messiah? They're like, you're going to die? Why are we following that? He, he led them along the way first. Jesus spent this time with them for these three and a half years, and he discipled them and taught them. And now was the time, because the time is short. Time is running out. He's like, look, now's the time. It wasn't before. It wasn't at the beginning because I was with you, but now is the time because I'm no longer going to be with you. They didn't need to know it then. They need to know it now because suffering is coming. Things are heating up. Jesus is about to be arrested, and Jesus is about to put real suffering on display. But they needed these words from Jesus to be ready for it. And Jesus then in verse 5 says, but now I go away. You see, before you didn't need to know this, 
I was with you, but now I won't be with you. Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Remember John 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. They forgot. Sorrow had filled their heart. But there's, there's this inward focus that they have right now. There's this, this inward, selfish perspective that even when, as Jesus says, nobody's asking me, where are you going? They've asked a question before that's similar. But what they've asked before is really like, what about us? You're going, but what about us? Can we follow you? Or what's going to happen to us when you leave? But nobody's asked Jesus, where are you going? Nobody's concerned about the cross or the resurrection or the ascension that's coming. They're all thinking, well, what about us? What about me? What about my circumstance? What about the fact that, that you said you would be with us? Well, there's a whole plan involved with that, and it's the Holy Spirit, right? They had these questions, but they didn't ask the question, what about Jesus? But they had sorrow that filled their heart. And their sorrow was for themselves, and this sorrow was based on fear that they were losing the Messiah. Jesus in his mercy continues to minister and to teach and to reveal things. We lack understanding all the time. Even when he reveals something, we're like, yeah, that's great, but I don't get it. We're just like the disciples. Yeah, that's a great concept. I love the Bible, but I don't always get it. I don't always understand what God is doing. I don't understand why God is doing what he's doing. I don't understand my circumstance, and we get sorrowful, but it's okay because he has mercy, and he's gonna show us and reveal to us. And he says here that nevertheless, this is the good news. He's like, look, you're full of sorrow because I'm going. You haven't asked where I'm going. You haven't asked what's gonna happen to me. Nevertheless, this is good news. He's like, don't be sorrowful. This is good news. I'm going, and it's an advantage to you. Jesus now is gonna begin to reveal to them the purpose of his departure. It's for your advantage. Imagine the Messiah who you left everything behind to follow and you're walking with him, living with him, just following everything that he does and he tells you to do. Now he says, I'm going. And it's to your benefit. Like what benefit? What does that mean? How is this an advantage to me? And what Jesus is saying, this is not, this word advantage is really an advancement. This is for your advancement. The disciples are being promoted. They're being promoted. Jesus already just said to them, I no longer call you servant, but I call you friend. And now he's saying, this is for your advantage, your advancement the promotion that you're gonna experience things that you've never experienced before. I tell you the truth. This is that word that we've seen so many times, verily, verily, truly, truly. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I, will go, that I go away. For if I do not, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I depart, I will send him to you. All about their preparation. And Jesus has been and now is still preparing them emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, relationally. In relationship, I mean, he's, he's told them you're going to be rejected. Be prepared. He's told them that, man, like the, he's showed them the spiritual emphasis on everything, preparing them spiritually for what's going to happen. All of this is to prepare them for the Holy Spirit, for the work that was going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, for the church, for his bride to be ushered in. But the helper will the helper will not come if I do not go away. But I will send if I depart, I'm gonna send him. It's to your benefit, and the and the coming of the Holy Spirit is that benefit. You're going to experience the power and the fullness that God desires to give you. The Holy Spirit is a gift, and it is a gift from God. But Jesus has to go to give the gift. Jesus said, look, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It is a gift that Jesus is giving, the inheritance of peace that we've talked about before. If Jesus wasn't going, there's no inheritance. If somebody somebody were to, to die and leave an inheritance, if they don't die, there's no inheritance. Jesus has to go to usher in the Holy Spirit. You see, we sometimes will only see what's right in front of us. And we want to hold on to it. It's a good thing. I don't want to let go of this good thing. We saw it happen before with, on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they're up there on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured into his glory in this fullness And we see Moses and Elijah, Peter's like, let's just build three altars right here. Let's hold on to this moment. Jesus is like, no, no, no. This moment is nothing. There's more fullness. We hold on. We see something in front of us. We like it. We enjoy it. It's a good thing. We don't want to let go of it. Imagine the disciples. They had the Messiah. They don't want to let go of the Messiah. The Messiah is telling them he's going to go die. They don't want that to happen. How how are they going to overthrow the Roman government if Jesus dies, if the Messiah is gone? Because the Roman government has nothing. The kingdoms of this world mean nothing. They wanted to hold on to the Messiah. We see even Peter after this, when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, what does Peter do? No, I'm going to take up my sword. I am going to hold on to the Messiah. I'm not going to let him go. I will fight for him. I will die for him. But he had to let him go. We miss out on the fullness of God's gift when we hold on. I've, I've shared with you guys recently, my wife and I went to Colorado. We went to a conference out there. And while we were there, we took a day. We went to Rocky Mountain National Park. And while we were there, it was beautiful. We're, we get there early in the morning. We got to see elk fighting with each other. And 
It was awesome, right? And we're driving out. We go to this one place. We take a hike around this beautiful lake. And then we take a hike up to this waterfall. It was just a glorious experience. And then we're like, all right, now we want to go up. We want to drive up further. We were down still lower in the, in the mountains. But we want to go up further and get some beautiful sights. It was a cloudy day. And, but we had already experienced some beautiful things, great, glorious things. We start driving, and we're like, hey, this is really cool. This is really cool. And then it starts, we're like going up, 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 up. And we're like 9,000 feet and clouds. We were in the clouds. And uh, I want to show you guys the picture. Well, there it is. That's our view at 9,000 feet. That was our view. We're like, oh, man, this is such a bummer. And we actually get to this spot where we took this picture. There was a, the road was closed because there was snow and ice, and they had closed it down. You can't go up there. So we're like, all right, I guess that's it. You know, we stopped, we pulled in the parking lot. We took this picture. We're like, really awesome, Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, but we had already experienced so many other things. We're like, maybe we'll just go back and we'll, we'll check out some more stuff down lower. And it's beautiful down there anyway. We get to experience some cool things. Then they moved the blockade and the park range. We're like, can we go? He's like, yeah, but I can't pro- you're not going to see anything. We're like, all right, well, we'll just... We'll just take, you know, keep going and see what happens. And we keep going, and it gets worse. And literally, I'm at the point, of, I can't see anything. There, I know there's a cliff over here, right? That's all I know. I can't see it, but I know that there's nothing. Then over here, there's other cars coming, and there's a wall over here, you know? And, and I'm, we're trusting that the cars aren't going to run us off the road, and we're just going really slow. I'm super focused right in front of me, and I'm like, I can't go any further. Let's just turn around and go back. And my wife's like, that's cool, you know, this is terrifying, what are we supposed to do? And we're like, we just go and experience the the cool things that are down there, you know? And we go a little further, and I'm like, okay, and I missed the turn. Like, there's a little pull-off that you could turn around to go back the other way. I missed it because I couldn't see it. I'm like, all right, well, it's okay, there will be another one, let's just keep going a little bit further. And I'm I'm not kidding, like 30 seconds later, we were above the clouds, and we got to experience some glorious sights. This is just, there's a couple. You can scroll through the next few, but that's just a couple of them. I don't know how many pictures we took that day that were just endless, and we kept going up, and it was like, this is amazing. We're above the clouds, and we're seeing all these glorious sights, and like, we were blown away by it. But if we stopped, if we turned back, we would have missed out on the fullness of Rocky Mountain National Park. And that's nothing. God did that for fun. You know, Rocky Mountain National Park. <laughs> it's a speck on the planet. It's, it's smaller than a speck in the universe, right? But God just does that. It's beautiful. And it's this glorious sight in front of us that we got to experience that fullness and we were blown away by that fullness. And it was so cool. As we're driving, we're listening to worship music and, and we come up like above the clouds and it was totally like a moment in the song that was super emotional. So you get this picture like, ha, ah, you know, it was just, it was awesome. And God just gave us that little gift and we would have had a great day experiencing the park beneath the clouds. And we, we could have easily have just held on to that. What we know and what's comfortable, it's like, hey, we can't see. Let's just turn back and we'll hold on to the good stuff that's over here. 
the elk and the lake and the waterfall. That's all cool. But man, when we got to see the fullness, it was so much better. If we turned around, look what we would have missed out on. If we stop, if we hold on to everything and try to keep time still and hold on to what's right here in front of us, a good thing, a safe thing, a comfortable thing, we will miss out on the fullness of God's gift. They had the Messiah and they had to learn to let go so they could experience the fullness of God, the Holy Spirit. They would experience power. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If Jesus doesn't go, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. And they miss out on the power. The power that they would experience personally they would be doing some of the same things they saw Jesus do. They saw Jesus heal a lame man. In the book of Acts, early church, we see them walking into Jerusalem and they heal a lame man. Silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That wasn't them possessing this power. It was them being obedient. It was them fulfilling what God had called them to do. Jesus had to go to usher in the Holy Spirit. And he says that he was, and, and there's, he's making way for greater works that they would experience by the power of the Spirit. John 14, we studied it in verse 12. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. The Holy Spirit comes when he goes. We have to trust that. We have to trust that power, that resurrection power is in us. When we walk with Jesus, we have fellowship with him, relationship with him. That doesn't mean we walk around with like just Holy Spirit power. Power, power, we got all the power to do all, no. That's not how it works. But as obedient men and women of faith, we will see him do those, those things. There was massive growth about to take place through the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the resurrection and because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. That could only happen if Jesus departed. Verse 8 and when he has come, the Holy Spirit we're talking about, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now we're going to get into talking about the specifics of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in the disciples. We've already talked about like what the Spirit does. The Spirit is a helper. The Spirit is going to help you get through a lot of things. The Spirit's gonna be holding your hand through the suffering and the persecution and, and you have to trust that and trust that I have to go in order to allow this to happen and it's gonna get difficult, but just trust it. Walk by the Spirit. But then now the Holy Spirit is sent to convict the world. To convict is to expose, refute, 
or convince. And it's convicting of sin, and that sin we're talking about, we talked about it last week as well, is a realization of sin, a realization of guilt. As Jesus even talked about earlier in chapter 15, that if he did not come, if he did not speak truth, and he did not demonstrate righteousness, then the world and and even the religious system, they wouldn't even know that they're guilty. But because Jesus did come, because Jesus did speak truth and he demonstrated righteousness, they know their guilt. And they have to respond to that place of being found guilty. So that sin is the realization of guilt. And the, the Spirit shows the world that it is guilty and convinces them of their need for salvation. Each one of us, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you've come to that place. The Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin, has found you guilty, and convinces you, or has convinced you, of your need for salvation. And so this conviction of sin, then, in verse 12, uh, uh, verse 9, sorry, says, of sin, because they do not believe in me. So the sin that we're talking about there is unbelief. It's rejection of Jesus Christ. The sin of unbelief, the rejection of Jesus Christ, the Spirit convinces the world of. That conviction, that knocking sometimes. Some of you, you've felt it before and you've responded to it and said, yes, I need Jesus. Some of you maybe have not responded to it. That conviction that is coming from the Holy Spirit. When you know that you need to respond, you know that you need to change your life, you need to put your trust in Jesus and lay aside the sin of unbelief. With the sin of unbelief, though, comes judgment as we see. So the Spirit comes to convict of sin, of unbelief. He comes to convict of righteousness. The Jesus, what we're talking about here, verse uh, Verse 10, it says, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Jesus is talking about his ascension to heaven. Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. It's not his death. If he was talking about his death, they would see him again after his death, right? After his ascension, they would see him no more. So after they don't see him, after he ascends to heaven, what he's demonstrating in his ascension is, one, his righteousness And two, the unrighteousness of the world. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Convicts and convinces that Jesus alone is righteous and that the world without Jesus is unrighteous. And then of judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. Listen, The ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is the devil. Anyone who doesn't come to that place of, of, hey, I'm convicted. I am convinced of my sin, of my guilt. I am convinced that Jesus alone is righteous and I can only be righteous through relationship with him. That without him, I am of the world. I am unrighteous. Then there's judgment. And the ruler of this world will be judged So if I am of this world, I will be judged. If I don't 
have the relationship with Jesus Christ, then I, along with the ruler of this world, will be judged. But there's a, there's a final judgment that's coming. There's a final judgment that we know without question. Jesus said it's going to happen. The ruler of this world will be judged. So just as everything else that Jesus said would happen has happened, that will happen as well. And the devil will be judged. But Jesus, but Jesus is what satisfies the wrath of God. He satisfies the judgment so that we don't have to go the way of the ruler of this world. We can be found righteous through relationship with him. Verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the disciples. First of all, Jesus says, there's so much more to say, but I'm not going to tell you. There's so much more that I have to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Meaning there's so much more detail. There's so, much, there's so many specifics here that Jesus could get into of how they're going to suffer, what it's all going to look like exactly, but you can't bear it now. You're not ready for it, but if you walk according to the Holy Spirit, you're going to know. You're going to see it. You're going to experience for yourself that obedience and that power. You're not ready, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you through it. The Holy Spirit is gonna teach you through it. So the Holy Spirit for the world convicts. The Holy Spirit for the disciples. We know is a helper, a comforter, but also reveals things. The Holy Spirit, he says, will guide you into all truth. All truth, everything that you come to, every crossroad, every decision in your life that you come to, the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth because the Holy Spirit testifies of truth and testifies of Jesus. He can't guide you anywhere else other than in truth. And that truth, it's, the, it's a deeper relationship with Jesus and it's an understanding of his word even for some of them going so far as to lead them in an understanding of writing the scriptures, guys. Some of these men are, go John is there, and we have the gospel of John, right? We have first, second, third John. We have revelation. We have these things. This is inspired from God, right? All scripture is given by inspiration. It is God breathed through the Holy Spirit. This is what's gonna happen. These are the mind-blowing things that are gonna come through the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will guide you into all truth and the Spirit will tell you things to come. The Spirit will prepare them for a world without Jesus right by their side because the Holy Spirit would take that place and they would have Christ in them 
not just with them and say, hey guys, follow me. Hey guys, do it this way. Listen to what I say. But no, now you'll have the Holy Spirit in you that will do all of that. Preparing them for a new world that is after the resurrection. Preparing them to do ministry in a different way after the resurrection, after the ascension. So the Holy Spirit will tell you of these things to come and not on his own authority. The Spirit, Jesus has has said this of himself before, that I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who sent me. And now he's connecting that to the Holy Spirit the same way, not on his own authority. The Holy Spirit has not come to do a different and new work, a greater work. The Holy Spirit is not on a new mission. Same mission. Salvation. He doesn't do this on his own. He doesn't speak. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and speak on his own authority, but is under the same authority that Jesus is under, the will of the Father, all on the same mission, salvation. And what he will do is he will glorify Jesus. Verse 14, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit will do 100% of the time. Declaring truth, glorifying Jesus Christ. Testifying of the truth, testifying of Jesus Christ. All the Holy Spirit does is glorify Jesus. Every single thing. There's nothing outside of glorifying Jesus when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And there's no counterfeit work of the Holy Spirit. An example is Acts chapter 5. We may know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. After this great work and great move of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 4, it's the greatest unity in the history of the church. Everybody was selling everything, giving to serve the Lord, and then serving one another. Meeting, it says no one had need. Because everybody was meeting each other's need in great unity. But that was a work of the Holy Spirit. They were under that conviction of the Holy Spirit and they were doing that. But now Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, they saw it and they thought, let's sell everything and let's give most of it and say that it was all of it so that we could get some attention. We could get, hey, good job, guys. But what was that? That was a selfish ambition. That was for self-glorification, trying to mimic or to counterfeit the same work that the Holy Spirit had done in so many other people. But they lied to the Holy Spirit, and from that, what happened? They dropped dead. It's a dangerous place to be trying to counterfeit the work of the Holy Spirit. but it was for selfish gain and the, the Holy Spirit does not work in selfish gain, but for the glorification of Jesus Christ. And this can be a caution to us in things today that we see. And even the, the gifts of the Spirit and manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit and people who might claim to possess 
the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I have the gift of healing. Do you? Or does Jesus, in his gift to heal, and his ability to heal, sometimes work through you, through your prayer and through your faith, through your humility? The Holy Spirit doesn't manifest itself in selfish gain. And we look around and we see people who are gaining from this supposed gift of healing. It's not the Holy Spirit. It doesn't glorify Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit. So let that be a, a caution to us. Let that be the gauge for us. Does it glorify Jesus? That's where the fruit is. Finally here, Jesus says, he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus claims his deity once again and connects the Holy Spirit back to the Father claiming the deity of the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity at work in perfect unity, fulfilling the work of salvation. 